Hello, residents. My name is Zach Olson. I'm joined today by Mike Estefan, and thank you for downloading this month's episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast. This episode is sponsored by our amazing sponsor, Pearson Rabbits Insurance, and today is round number 28 of the game. Mike will need to perform today's case in real ABEM oral boards format. He has 15 minutes to complete the case and has no idea what the case is ahead of time. These cases were created by me. They are not derived from actual ABEM cases that I had, and they are not real patients. Mike, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, Take out a piece of paper and a pencil. Place the paper sideways in front of you. Outline a human body on the left side of it. Again, this is going to be a single patient encounter. Let me know when you are ready. I am ready. Let's, uh, Let's get this ball rolling. All right, Dr. Estefan. This will be a single patient encounter. You will have 15 minutes to complete the case. Before we begin, do you have any questions? No questions. All right, let's begin. Dr. Estefan, you are working at Clerkship General when EMS calls overhead stating that they are about one minute out, unconscious male that was involved in a house fire. Unconscious male, house fire. Great. Um, all right, let's let's uh, let's get the team into the resuscitation bay. Um, a couple nurses, a tech. Um, we can get airway equipment to the bedside and um, let's let's go from there. <laughs> All right, EMS is rolling in. Hey, Doc, good morning. Uh, we got Zachariah Wilson here, 33-year-old male. He was in a house fire. We just pulled him out. Yeah, it was a pretty bad – it was a bad fire, Doc. Most of the family was asleep kind of downstairs, but he had a room upstairs. And so he, everyone else got out, but he was – it was pretty bad. Okay. Great. Um, that should be all I need. Um, okay. Um, how does the patient look? Let's transfer him over to the stretcher. Um so he uh, looks not well. He's moaning. He kind of smells like smoke. He looks he looks in rough shape. Okay. Um, let's. Uh, sir, my name is Doctor Estefan. I'm one of the doctors that'll be taking care of you. What's your name? Oh, my family. Okay. So his airway is intact at least for now. Um, all right. Let's get him on the monitor. Let's get two large bore IVs. Um, and let's get a set of vitals, please. All right. Patient's placed on the monitor. You have two large bore IVs. Respiratory rate is 40. Heart rate is 150. Blood pressure is 90 over 50. O2 saturation is 95%. And, uh, can I get a temperature? 99. And an AccuCheck, please. 100. 100. All right. Let's start by just putting, uh, just some oxygen on him, like a two liter nasal cannula to start um and um i honestly want to just examine him very quickly um so let's take off cut off all his clothes expose him completely um does he have uh bilateral breath sounds yes okay does he have symmetric pulses yes okay and then kind of go is he moving all four extremities Yes. Great. And then kind of going from head to toe, um, any obvious uh, burns or s- to the face or uh, in his oropharynx or anything like that? Any soot in the nares? Any singed hair? So the patient is lying on his back. Um, there's no burns to his face, burns to his nares. He's got some soot on him, but no singed nasal hairs. 
Okay. No other burns on the front of his body. Okay. And are there any burns anywhere? Um, you roll the patient, and he has blistering on the back of his head, uh, back and b- back of both legs. Okay. Is it blanchable? Yes. Okay. Blistering back of you said back of head. Back of head, his in the back of his torso, in the back of both legs. Okay. Let's let's start by sending a bunch of labs on him. Um, I want a an ABG if we can get that. Um, if someone could a stick him with a carboxyhemoglobin level. Um, CBC, CMP. I want a lactate. Let's get a chest X-ray, an EKG. That should be good for now. All right. So to repeat back, you have an ABG. Um, you said with a carbon carboxyhemoglobin, CBC, CMP, lactic acid, chest X-ray, and EKG. Yes. Um, and let me start talking to the patient now. Um, sir, does anything hurt you right now? Uh, my family. Your family? Okay. We'll try to get a hold of your family, okay? Right now I want to take care of you. Is anything bothering you? What's hurting you? My, f- my family. Your family? Okay. Do you have any allergies to medications? My family. <laughs> okay. Do you take any medication? My family. Do we know anything about the family? <laughs> uh, everybody's like, yeah, they all got out all right. They're they're pretty shook up. They'll be on their way in fifteen minutes. Okay. All right. And do we know anything about this guy? Can we chart review him? Does he take any medications? Anything like that? Um, you do a chart review. Uh, no medical history, surgical history, medications, allergies, or social history. Okay. Excellent. Um, all right. And I guess um, in the meantime, we can start giving a liter bolus. Give him one liter bolus. Um, your ABG is back. Uh, the pH is 7.2. Um, the PCO2 is 43. PAO2 is 70. Um, the carb- carboxyhemoglobin is 20. And then your CBC uh, came back. That is, there's no abnormalities on that. Your CMP came back. Um, his bicarb is 13. His anion gap is 20. Lactic acid is 8. Chest x-ray shows some interstitial edema. And the EKG is normal. All right. Um, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, so he... He has a very elevated carboxyhemoglobin. Um, so to address that, let's let's just put him on a non-rebreather at this point, um, and let's put a call out to the to poison control. And then um, his lactate of eight. Um, I know you, it, kind of in these these house fires, you really have to be hyper vigilant about cyanide um, exposure and cyanide toxicity. Um, and that lactate of eight is concerning me for that. Um, so do we have a hydroxycobalamin kit here? You have everything. This is a very good hospital. <laughs> Great. Um, let's talk to pharmacy because I have no idea dosing-wise, but I, I want to give him hydroxycobalamin. All right. Pharmacy says uh, typical dosing is five grams. Do you want us to administer it? Yeah, let's, let's do that. So you give hydroxycobalamin. Poison control is on the line. 
Hey, Doc, what's up? Hey, um, I've got a 33-year-old male who's a victim of a house fire, um, and I think he's got two things going on. Um, number one, he has a very high carboxyhemoglobin of 20, um, which we are addressing at this point in time with just a non-rebreather. Um, and then more concerningly is that um, his... His lactate is eight, um, and I'm, he was in a house fire, and I'm concerned about possible cyanide exposure. So we were going to start um, hydro. We did start hydroxycobalamin for him. Um, the uh, only other thing that I'm probably going to address is he probably needs more fluid resuscitation, um, given the extent of his burns. I wanted to start gently, but um, we'll we'll increase that. Do you guys have any recommendations? Um, nope. I agree with the hydroxycobalamin. Perfect. Great. Um, let's let's go back and get a little more detailed physical exam on him. What uh, can we estimate his total body surface area burns? Um, yeah, so it's the entire back of his head, na- neck, posterior torso, and the back of both legs that are burned. Okay, back of both legs. So that's going to be nine, nine. You said the back of his head. Mm-hmm. And you said his entire back of his torso? Yes. Okay. Um, so let me just pull out my calculator here. It's been a while since I've done this. I know each leg is 18, so half the leg is 9. And that times 2 is 18. So 18 for the legs. Um, I think the entire head is 9, so half of that would be 4.5. And then I think the entire back is 18. So 18, 18, 4.5, that's going to be 40.5%, which is no bueno. Um, And then, so it's, oh my gosh, (laughs) this formula, it's four cc's, do we have a body weight on him? 100 kilos. 100 kilos. Four cc's per kilogram times the percent, I think, right? So that would be 400 times like 41. Shoot, I hope I'm doing this math right. It has been so long since I've done one of these. Also in our trauma bay, the formula in the chart is posted on the wall, which makes it really easy. You also won't have a calculator on test day. Just oh, really? Oh. I don't think so. Okay, crap. Pretty sure. Um. Shoot, I don't know how much fluid to give him. I forget the formula. Oh, no. Um, oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. Um, let's just start giving him more fluid. We can switch to LR and... Um, <laughs> uh, he's going to need at least probably four liters in the first eight hours at the very least. The nurse wants to know how many liters you want in the first eight hours. Let's... Let's do, let's do four. All right, four liters is being administered. Okay, great. Um, and then let's uh, let's get this guy to the ICU. Can we call the ICU? Sure. Hey, Doc, what's up? Hey, um, I've got a 33-year-old male who is a victim of a house fire. Um, he is uh, an elevated carboxyhemoglobin, which we are we have him on a non-rebreather for. He's also, I suspect. Um, cyanide 
has a component of cyanide toxicity, and we gave him hydroxycobalamin. He had a lactate of eight, and he has about 40% total body surface area burns, um, which we are uh, fluid resuscitating him significantly. Um, <laughs> I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head, but we're giving him four liters in, over the first eight hours. All right. We'll see you whenever he's ready to come up. Okay. Thank you. Send him up when you're ready. All right. Um, can we get a repeat set of vitals on him? Um, <clears throat> sure. So his heart rate is 130. His respiratory rate is 30. His um, systolic blood pressure is 180 over 110. His O2 saturation is um, 95%. And right, carbon monoxide poisoning, uh, we get false pulse oxes. So this PaO2 of 70, I'm pretty okay with. Um, what was his, you said his respiratory rate was 30. Okay. Um, is there anything else I am missing? Um, I guess we should contact uh, burn surgery too. Do we have them here? Um, they'll consult in the ICU. Okay. Um, I don't think I have anything else to do besides if that formula magically floats to my head, but I don't think that's going to happen, so. All right. Then that ends your case. All right. <laughs> okay. Dang it. Before we go through how you... <laughs> Before we go through how you did, Mike, I would like to thank our sponsor for the month, Pearson Rabbits Insurance. Stephanie Pearson at Pearson Rabbits is my personal disability and life insurance agent. And we've been talking quite a bit about disability insurance the last few months, specifically the importance of a solid own occupation, personal policy that you carry with you through your career. But let's focus today on the other area that Pearson Rabbit specializes in, life insurance. You may or may not know this, but life insurance is the policy that will give your loved ones money if you die. So many of us, including myself, are the primary financial support for our families or will soon be the primary financial support for our families. If you are in the situation where your loved ones are financially screwed, if you die or you think you'll be in that situation in the future, then you need a life insurance policy to protect them. That's kind of how it works. And so just like disability insurance, the sooner you buy this, the cheaper it's going to be because you're healthier. And so this is this is actually one of the stories on why I trust Stephanie Pearson versus all the other agents out there. So lots of independent agents can make lots of money by convincing you to buy certain special types of life insurance policies. But most uh, financial people that I have read and listened to say you want to avoid those and you really want term life insurance. You don't want any of the other fancy, complicated stuff. They actually tend to be a ripoff. So when I talked to Dr. Pearson about buying a life insurance policy, um, this was years ago, I was actually testing her because I wanted to see if she would be like an agent that would try to sell me one of these other types of policies that insurance agents can make a ton of money on, but aren't necessarily very good for me. Or if she would stick to kind of solid financial principles and just find me, you know, the nice, the best term policy. And so just to be clear in that moment, if she, I, I didn't tell her this, but I don't even know if she knows the story, but if she had mentioned anything other than a term life policy, she would not be my agent for this. And she would not be an advertiser right now. Okay. But you know what she did? The very first thing she said when I called her on the phone, she's like, just to be clear, Zach, you probably heard a lot about different life insurance types policies out there. I only sell term life insurance. And at that moment I knew I could trust her because she wasn't trying to sell me crap. And I believe you can trust her too. pick an agent that you can trust. Go to www.pearsonravits.com. Get in contact with them, protect your family. Now back to our case. Mike, all right, 
How do you think you did? Uh, you know what? I'm kicking myself now because I think I have the formula right. I just didn't believe the number that popped out because that seemed ridiculously high. And then I realized that he has 40% total body surface area burns. It's going to be ridiculously high. It's an impressive number, isn't it? So what number are you getting? So I got over 16 liters, like 16,400 was the number I got on my calculator. I don't know if that's... And so in the first eight hours? Uh, so first eight hours would be eight liters. 8,200. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. I, when I actually made this case, and, you know, I'm just making up how much of the guys, you know, I'm just making up a bad burn. But, I mean, I calculated that. I was like, oh, snap, that's a lot of fluid. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. These people are really sick. Yep. Uh, you know, I'd be, I don't, I don't actually work in a burn center, so I guess I don't see, like, a ton of these super bad burns. But when I was actually writing the case, I was like, that is a lot of fluid. So you you lowballed it with the the four liters. Yeah. Um. Which is dangerous in an inhalational injury and things like that, too. It can cause a lot of um, lack of perfusion, and then the patients get really sick. It really is important that you get that that fluid amount right. Too much is bad. Too little is bad. Yep. Um, but anyways, so we talked about the fluids. Take me from the beginning of the case. Kind of what were your initial thoughts? What do you think was going on? Um, critique yourself. Uh, critique yourself. Yeah, so... I think I started off pretty slow because, uh, as usual, I was not. Ex- this is not anything I was expecting. I think I should just learn to expect the unexpected when it comes to these cases. Um, but uh, first things in my head when I hear a burn are: How's the airway? Are they protecting their airway? Um, and once um, we kind of realized that he wasn't acutely, you know, having edema in his airway um i kind of bypassed that and then the next thing that comes to mind is carbon monoxide poisoning um which you know it can be deceptive because halfway through the case i realized um that his pulse ox probably isn't accurate um but luckily his his pao2 looked okay um and then the last thing is um cyanide toxicity from like um i think upholstery and furniture burning can release um cyanide and cause all sorts of badness with mitochondrial poisonings and these people have high lactates so when the lactate of eight came back um that's kind of what i was thinking i mean uh, he also probably has a degree of inhalational injury with the edema on his chest x-ray but for the time being i don't think he needed an airway um that can obviously change at any minute to minute and these people tend to be watched like hawks if you're not intubating them on arrival yeah yeah, so he was a little altered. Um, obviously, this was a there was I threw a lot at you at this case, and this is by the way going to be the theme for the rest of the year because I sat down a couple months ago. I was like, what are all the things that uh, Mike needs to cover as far as diagnosis? I'm like, how do we squeeze these all into single cases? So this was going to be fun. <laughs> um, the the uh, you're spot on on the the carbon monoxide and the cyanide are like kind of the classic two things that go along with these house fires as far as poisonings and toxicology. Um, again, these aren't real cases, but I could easily see this type of thing being a case. This is a case that, uh, a similar case that a attending gave me in residency, you know, kind of a, a burn type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked about the, so let's take each of these one at a time. So the carbon monoxide, um, you, what was his level? You checked it was it. Uh, 20, which... Um, okay, I, I th- what do you think about that level? So I I was trying to remember what the threshold for hyperbaric oxygen is, and um, the fact that poison control didn't recommend it 
pushed me away from like transferring for hyperbarics. But I think, uh, is it greater than 20 with like mental status change equals hyperbaric? I, I forget, to be honest. Um, yeah, I, it's a talk with poison control that you're going to hear the cry in the, and I don't know if there's like a specific thing on the test. I'm pretty sure it'll be even more obvious if they want you doing hyperbarics. seems like a bad idea to do hyperbarics on this guy. Just, he's so sick. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. How's that? How's that work? Um, but I think that the, the true, well, in the real world, if you're considering hyperbaric, it's a talk with poison control. Right. So yeah. I think that's just kind of the best way to approach it. And the fact that poison control didn't say anything, I don't think you can be dinged for not doing hyperbarics. And I don't think hyperbarics would probably be appropriate in this case. But okay, good. Um, 100% O2. How much oxygen does a non rebreather give? What do you mean? Like FiO2? Yeah. Uh, you don't have to know off the top of your head. I, don't know. I mean, there's going to be some leak. It's not going to be completely 100% no. on a non rebreather. No. It's pretty good. Um, you have to be careful, too. Like a lot of the non rebreathers that you'll see in the department. So, a true non rebreather, I think it has to have like the flaps over the side of the mask to prevent any air from like escaping in. Mm-hmm. But I think for like safety reasons, they're only allowed to put one on now. So, there's a little more mixture with room air than on a non rebreather. So, if you really want to max out 100%, um, you can always intubate them. And um, that's, like, definitely the way you get them, like, 100% FiO2 is with a tube. Um, but I don't think it was wrong to not do the tube just for that reason. I think a non-rebreather is a, a reasonable choice just on the carbon monoxide. Got it. Um, but anyways, that was just, like, a, a technical point. Mm-hmm. Okay, the cyanide, we talked about that. Um, spot on with the lactic acidosis, I think that's a give. Um Oh, another thing with the ABG, before we move on, you can actually do a venous carboxyhemoglobin and it works just as well. Oh, really? I looked this up the other day. Yeah. Good to know. Because we were at, we were, our little, have you ever seen those, like, what are they called? Coaxymetry? Yeah. Like, they just go on the finger? Yeah. So, like, ours was missing, and so I didn't actually know which one to get because I'd always just checked it with the finger one. And they were like, and I learned when I looked it up, oh, venous works fine. You don't even need to do the arterial. And it's, so I'll probably just do venous on these from now on when I do labs. Um, a venous, uh, anyways, that was just a fun little fun pearl. You can do a venous, um, or carbon monoxide. Okay. Uh, cyanide, you, the lactic acid, the pH was low. You're correct with it being in a house fire. Um, I don't know, maybe like a spy movie or something. Can you even think of any other cases where they're going to give you cyanide? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like I'm trying to think like spy movie, like an apricot farmer. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I didn't know if you were going to try to do anything with, like, the whole bitter almonds thing. <laughs> I can't smell anything. So. No, I... Or I can't smell, like... People always say they can smell the DKA. They can smell the almonds with cyanide. I can't smell I, Yeah, I, There's no way I would trust myself in a burn. You know? Nope. I completely agree. <laughs> it, You're it, just going to smell bitter soot. Bitter almonds or burning almonds? Oh, my God. It's because he's on fire. <laughs> you know? Um, anyway, so good job on that. Okay. We talked about the carbon monoxide. We talked about the cyanide. We talked about the burn fluids. Anything else with burns that you would want to do that you didn't do? Um, let's see. So at least in my experience, um, treatment of burns is pretty... Oh, wait. Shoot. Did he have a circumferential burn? No. Okay. Right. Good thought, right. but no. <laughs> um Treatment of burns varies wildly from center to center, as I've seen coming from one burn center and where I went to med school and um, now training in a residency where we have a dedicated burn surgeon. 
So they do drastically different things. I think the one consistent thing was no antibiotics empirically. Um, but I've seen differing use of uh, sulfadiazine um, to cover these burns. Um, some centers like it, some centers don't. As far as other things, I don't really know. Do you have anything else to add? Well, um, I agree. And I think that you could have earned some style points when you're on the phone with like the burn people or the, you know, do you want me to do any dressings or anything on this? That would have earned you style points. Cause you didn't really mention anything along those lines as far as like the burn care. Got it. Um, one other really basic thing, it's going to tend to be a critical action on a lot of cases, um, including for things like corneal abrasions and just stuff like that, um, that you missed. Um, simple trauma, intervention that we do frequently that gets missed all the time i don't know that starts with a t and ends with an dap oh yeah for burns yep yeah yeah so you missed the tetanus shot and that is something that you would get dinged for and that's i had that up there kind of with um on when i did my oral boards i kind of had that up towards the top on things that like a, a can't miss checklist. Like I had, I always had like, I think I had the blood sugar, um, the temperature, you know, there's a couple things on there that I knew that sometimes I, I was, had, was prone to missing. I actually had tetanus on that list. That's smart. Cause um, they will ding you for, for missing the tetanus shot. So you missed a tetanus shot yep. and which is just so crazy, right? Like you get this, these horrible, awful cases and then you end up sinking on a tetanus shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just like awful. You're just like, come on. <laughs> Give me a break. Um, yeah. And then there was one other spin on this case that it um, was actually the teaching point on my case. And you kind of fell right into it um, using the one weakness that I know you have with these cases. So um, you never, and I'll just tell you what it is because I, you know, he was, or let's see if you can guess it here. So um, it's another thing that you will commonly see as uh, in these house fires. And the guy was on the upper floor in a smoky house trying to get out or whatever. Um, any other idea of like something else you'd want to check for besides just the burns themselves as far as like trauma? Um, no, just trauma in general, right? Falls and uh, like a, people bumping into yeah. things and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't do a secondary survey. You're right. I didn't, um, I did not do a full secondary. And you, your, so your exam so you could have gotten maybe a little more from EMS. I don't blame you for not getting more from EMS. Um, he would have been found at the base of a stairs. And on your secondary survey, um, there was things like um, unequal pupils was one, probably the biggest oh, one God. Um, that you missed. And so he had a subdural hematoma as well uh, that I snuck in. Oh, there. no. And, which, and I know you know how to teach that or how to treat that. And the reason I put that in there was um, to give you to, to hammer home a theme um, with the with all of these cases, especially these single patient encounters, Mike. They will give you these like hard but seemingly like you know straightforward cases, right? It's a burn, okay. It's gonna be the cyanide tetanus thing. And sometimes they just try to hook it, they just try to put this curveball in there. And the curveball, you just gotta catch it. Like there's not gonna be any anything too crazy about it. Like it's a subdural hematoma. Mostly you just have to find it. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. you just have to, you just have to recognize it's there. Um, but 
uh, because, and you've done this in the past, and every time I beat you, it's usually because of the same thing where you kind of like speed up and you, you close through the case and you just miss a little piece of it. But I wanted to do another one of those um, where the guy had a trauma and um, specifically a head injury, which you could have picked up on exam pretty easily. And so, um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> You're you. killing it's me. pretty cruel. You're killing me. No, it's okay. I, but I totally missed. In, but in, in true bad house fires like this, like they are traumas. Oh, yeah. And so you can just imagine people trying to get out of their smoky house, and they're running, and they're falling on stuff, and they're falling down the steps, and they're – you know, it's a bad situation, right? And so you do get these sorts of injuries. And if you do, if you listen to, you know, it's, I actually got this idea when I was preparing for the burn stuff. Cause I'm thinking, you know, I'm reviewing too, you know, um, carbon monoxide, cyanide, burn treatment. I'm looking up the formula, right? Cause I always try to have, you know, so I don't say something wrong on one of these cases. As I'm reviewing this universally, they're like, don't forget to check for other trauma too. If you have an altered burn person, you're thinking again, carbon monoxide, cyanide, or head injury. And I was like, oh, that's fun. <laughs> I'm writing that in. <laughs> that's so cruel. But I mean, that's totally um, fair. So I, I got you there. So you got to be careful and just make sure that you you cross all your T's and dot all your I's. Um, and when you asked for vitals at the end, I was going to try to backdoor you into it because you noticed I like spiked his blood pressure. I don't know if you noticed I that. I did. I did. I, th- I thought that was all related to uh, pain and the fact he was getting fluids and no longer like hypotensive. Yeah, so I I tried to give you an out, but um, you didn't check pupils. You didn't specifically verbalize anything for head injury. Um, You he was altered, right? Yeah, he was. I I I attributed that all to the carbon monoxide. Totally right. Yeah, yeah, I think that's reasonable. But you didn't check pupils. Yeah. So that's how I had things written in where I was like, if he just has to, because my goal was you'd focus on the burn, you'd miss other parts of your secondary survey, and you know, just by getting a little ahead of yourself. And that's why I actually let the beginning of the case go so fast. You'll notice you had extra time. Oh, yeah. I was leaving you time to do your secondary survey and find it and have time to finish it. Um, but you kind of just admit them. So you just got to be careful. You would have had time to do it. Yeah. Um, you finished the case early. Yeah. So I was. that was actually one of my priorities was making sure I didn't run out of time there. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, no good. And you didn't run out of time. You did plenty of, t- you were through the case probably in 10, 11 minutes. Um, and that was kind of when you're somewhere in there is about when you're calling the ICU and getting the patient admitted. And I kind of said, you're, you can admit whenever you're ready. And so I think you like touch base with maybe the burn people or something. Um, but you would have time to finish a secondary survey, see that, grab a CT, and you would have you would have gotten that critical action. Because all you had to do was f- recognize that it was there. I mean, what are you going to do? Like open brain surgery, like cut through the burn? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, right. There's only so much you're going to do, but you just had to find it. So anyways, very tough case. But you're a third year now, so I wanted to <laughs> – and again, it was – the idea wasn't mine. You can blame certain other educational products out there on that. One, so. <laughs> for, for my torture. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Anyways, how's residency? You're wrapping up, dude. Dude, it's uh, it's surreal. It is. I, I'm counting down the days in a bad way. I'm like, you know, somewhat terrified to go out on my own. But at the same time, um, the independence is good. And I'm getting more practice doing things independently. The attendings are kind of letting us, you know, I don't want to say go out on our own, but we always have supervision, but um, we're definitely getting more independence and that's, it's good. It feels good. Um, But yeah, I just, (laughs) I'm nervous to be done. This has been the quickest two and a half years of my life so far. You know, residency flies by. 
yeah anyways um with, with your last year don't forget so this is don't waste the opportunity to have supervision for the last like six months of your training they want to push you on like kind of the, and rightfully, you have to learn how to practice independently. They're going to be pushing you on things like speed. But it's very important, more important than you being fast right now, because you will learn the speed. Um, I can teach you the speed when you're out pretty quickly. The speed is just kind of like a – it's like a skill. You know, it's a couple days, and you can kind of learn some tablet habits to make you more efficient. Yeah. But it's very important that you get good at procedures. It's the final time where they're really supervising you. And the, the reason I emphasize that is because procedures slow down your, your, quote, efficiency a lot as far as patients per hour. And if you're pushing too hard to be fast and run the whole department, you really need, especially in a three-year program, that th you need to make sure that you're doing as many procedures as possible, even though it makes you look slower when you graduate, it's going to make you faster. Yeah. You'll be faster if you're the resident who went slow and did a bunch of procedures. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not necessarily be slow with every case when it's a chest pain. Those you should start to get pretty quick at and in and out, in and out. But don't sacrifice procedure uh, attempts and runs, especially in a supervised setting, especially um, more difficult or less common procedures that you're uncomfortable with, that you know is going to take a half hour or an hour just because it's going to hurt your time. Sacrifice the time, be the slow guy, and learn those procedures on things like, you know, if, if whatever, peritonsil or abscess or, you know, ultrasounds or whatever it is that, whatever it is, yeah. right? Lumbar <clears throat> LPs now is the time yeah, to do LPs it. LPs, 100%, I was going to say. Um, do procedure variations that maybe you think you will use someday, but you're not quite comfortable with yet okay so like doing lps in different positions would be an example if you want if let's say you're not going to ever do like subclavian central lines okay that's fine but make sure you got like ephemeral or something you know make sure you've done you know you have a couple different options and just again the thing your third year is a procedure that you're uncomfortable with will make you go incredibly slow it takes you can see two three patients in the time you do a single procedure but you need to learn those procedures. Um, so that's my, my worded advice to you for your last six months. Okay. <clears throat> Before we wrap up, everybody, I don't know if you have anything else to add, Mike. Uh, I, I do not. And, um, I, well, I have one question for you. I don't know if this came across in your reading. I had mentioned it, um, but I wasn't 100% sure if it was true. But um, pulse oximetry with an elevated carboxyhemoglobin, it's not accurate, right? No. Good. Okay. So this was going back to the VBG versus ABG. If you're checking a carboxyhemoglobin level, wouldn't you want an ABG at that point? Because your pulse ox isn't going to be accurate, even though you can get it from a venous gas. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you're doing a gas, I guess. Oh, but um, versus when like I added, a, I see what you're, yeah, co-oximetry, you can, you don't yeah, have to do Yeah, I was thinking of it more from like a diagnostic. You got someone coming in with flu-like stuff and, you know, they just fixed their car or something. Got it, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and you're just like, I just need to send a one-off. Rather than doing a whole ABG, you can do like a venous gas along with your basic Perfect. labs. yep. Or a venous, not even a necessarily a venous gas, just a venous um, carbon monoxide. Yeah, okay, that makes total sense. 
Cool. All right. Well, that wraps up, everybody. Um, we mentioned this in the last few episodes. So, again, Mike is getting ready to move on, and, and we need to replace him with another victim. Um, and so we know that there's several of you out there who are really interested in medical education, and um, this is very early on in the in the kind of the recruitment process for that, but we would be interested in finding um, someone who would be interested in potentially doing some more of these cases or doing other forms of education as well. Um, we are starting to get people sending in emails and stuff. So everyone that has sent something in, thank you. We have read every single one of them, and Mike and I have discussed every one of them. Um, I will say that up front, the bar has already been set pretty high. People are set, and, and by high, I mean people are sending in like tangible things. Like, look at I did this whole series of lectures. I have this whole like an example is like a social media account with all these educational posts. Something that we can actually look at. Um, who I, I can kind of tell you up front that the people who we finally end up choosing are going to be people that had something that we could actually look at and kind of get a gauge of the educational style. Um, so uh, we, we know that there's a lot of people that just kind of would generally be interested, but it would be very helpful if you had, if you've been on a podcast before, if you've done a video before, if you have like an educational social media page, if you've done like a booklet or, you know, some sort of handout or PDF or or something along the lines that we can actually see so we can get an idea of your teaching style. Um, that would be very, very helpful. But again, we are looking for interest, and we will continue to be looking um, at that over the next few months. So send us emails. Um, my email is Zach, Z-A-C-K, at emclerkship.com. You can also email Mike, M-I-K-E, at emclerkship.com. Until next time, keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift. <laughs>